This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to a very special installment of Escape Hatch, your portal into cinematic pocket universes. This week, I'm joined for a discussion with two of our favorite television creators. Returning to the pod after his fan favorite episode covering The Matrix, the star actor of Banshee, C, and Warrior, Hoon Lee. And I'm talking about most reasonable people and, uh, you know, D-bags and animals aside. And by the showrunner of Maniac and Station Eleven, Patrick Somerville. I so deeply relate to what you're saying. I feel like, do you want to get a drink? I asked them to join us to help explain the ongoing strikes by the Writers Guild of America and Screen Actors Guild, but also going deep on what it's like to be a collaborator creating art in Hollywood's high-stakes environment. And now, without further ado, Patrick and Hoon. This started because, uh, you know, I, I was talking to Hoon about um, coming back on the pod after his Matrix episode, which is like generally considered one of the top three episodes of our podcast ever. Um, and he was describing how he wasn't allowed to talk about or do promotion because of the strike. Um, and that started to make me think like, okay, so then what are the opportunities for you all to be able to tell the story of the impact um, that's been happening? Um, so that's the genesis uh, to get you guys on here. And I guess I just want to start by saying, uh, and let's start with you, Hoon, like, how have you been coping over the summer? Like, what's what's it been like, uh, you know, as it, as we're now, I think, uh, you know, 40 days or something in for the, for the SAG strike? I mean, I don't think I'm at a position in my career where significant stretches of unemployment feel out of the ordinary. <laughs> they're sort of part of it. And so on, on some level, on, on some perverse level, um, certain things don't feel different. I think that the pressure one feels is really surrounds your colleagues, the industry as a whole, a lot of that uncertainty. A lot of people who are, you know, really strapped who have it's not a hundred percent their fight, you know, below the line folk and, and, uh, you know, Teamsters, IATSE, all these people who are showing a lot of solidarity, um, mm -hmm. which is an amazing thing, a, a hugely important thing. You know, I, I also just always have personally never had a great grasp of my own sort of like long-term finances. <laughs> so it's always, it's always one of those. We're doing a house renovation now, which is all part of my careful plan to have well done. money. All yeah. right. It's going great. <laughs> At this rate, I'm going to hit all my milestones real easily. Um, but that ends up being uh, sort of this weird mixed blessing where you can kind of move on day to day without a huge amount of daily anxiety. Mm -hmm. But there are, of course, the nights where you just go. I think the hardest thing is I'm always acutely aware of lost time. And so understanding the ramp up that's required after this resolves and how much it might set yep. things back, how much it puts other things on the bubble that might normally not be on the bubble. Right, right. Those are the things that that make um, a longer term future less uh, less certain or less clear. Um, well, and, and Hoon, is there also the, the issue of even if we're back online, even if you get a job, your, your dollars are going to be delayed, you know, a significant yes. amount. I don't quite know how it works, but like you got to get to set right before before yes. 
So it's, it's different. There's, there's this buffer of danger for, for um, the SAG strikers that forces the anxiety deeper into the future. Mm. Uh, I just, I, I know this because of, of friends, um, you know, close friends who are sort of having to think about um, March right now because of the yep. way right. cash flow works uh, for actors. Yep. Yeah, and I feel that uh, I feel that the you know the the massive number of people that belong to SAG specifically, you you just have this array of situations, and you know I'm in a place where um, you know I feel the pressure and I feel the uncertainty, and there's a there's an imminent sort of problem looming within several months, that sort of feeling. But I've also been in places in my life where, you know, I've been massively in debt or I'm living paycheck to paycheck or, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out which bill to pay on a given month. And like that anxiety is just incredibly intense and you don't really realize how intense until you're free of it. Yeah, and no doubt. I, I really feel for the people in that position yeah. because it's thousands of people like well, in that position. You, you also make me think, Hoon, uh, it's so different to be 24 Yes. And alone yeah. and alone and broke and kind of yeah. and saying like, yes, credit card check mm-hmm. that right. I sign and put <laughs> into the ATM because I, I'm going to find a way. Um, but there's a phenomenon, I guess, of Hollywood in and of itself, which is that creatives uh, from all over have come and, and been able to stabilize financially uh, and then start families yeah. uh, because mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And so um I'm willing to make a reckless choice for myself, uh, but <clears throat> it's not those days anymore uh, for a lot of the people who who have kind of gotten used to it. But can, can I just also just say, Matt, for me, uh, I just want to be careful using the word cope, uh, accepting that for me, uh, because I'm I'm in a certain category, you know, and I'm I'm very lucky mm. um, to to be safe right now. Uh, for the time being, because, you know, I've probably been uh, unfairly compensated uh, uh, for successes I've had along the way so far. And there's there's plenty of ways we could talk about the different kinds of inequality that used to be there uh, before this strike um, within our own cultures, you know, yeah. and as we were working with the businesses we're now fighting with. And I just want to say cope, right. you know, it's stressful, of course. Hey, let me just say yeah. what I was, what I was thinking of Patrick um, was as a writer, I imagine you constantly have thoughts bubbling in your brain and then to not be able to go do work uh, on that way. Does that, that's not, you know, is there a cognitive dissonance that happens? I can though. That's the, that's the interesting thing. Um, mm. And I don't mean scabbing. I mean, I used to be a novelist and a short story writer before I came here. Mm-hmm. Um, like Hoon used to be a theater actor. I, I this is my second way of writing, um, and and a, a one upside for me personally, a thing that's happened is that I've kind of ha- after a chaotic kind of crazy feeling transitional change moment when the strike when ours went down uh, at the beginning of May. Scary. Uh, you know, and I have a business that has, uh, employees that, you know, I can't pay anymore. Um, and I, every instinct I have, uh, you know, is, is, is now fighting. I'm, I'm at war with myself because, uh, 
you want to take care of your people, but you, this is the situation. After that two week period of it being scary, I suddenly was like, you know what? I just, I just thought of a poem, Mm. you know? And, uh, Mm. and then I was like, oh yeah, you know, I started a sub stack because I really, I'm interested in unmediated access to audience. Um, and when I was younger, kind of blogs, some people were quite effective with them, but the whole joke, uh, when, when Jeevan in episode one uh, has his downward spiral talking about how he's a, a cultural critic, a journalist, a uh, freelance reporter, a blogger, I, I make content, I don't have a job. <laughs> it's just like so many people I think relate to that because he couldn't monetize really um, in, in 2005 and I wasn't a good enough writer anyways. So I... Invested a little more time. Thankfully, this is an unmonetized podcast, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> well, but the truth is, I, I've suddenly gone up to a bunch of unmonetized spaces, which are all the spaces I used to sit in mm-hmm. uh, and be happy in when mm-hmm. I was when I was in my twenties and learning who I was as an artist. Not doing a thing for money uh, is good for the soul. Yeah, um, and I think it's very possible to learn how to be a working artist who is accepting a transaction for money and still authentically doing their art. But that's takes some experience and it's hard just fucking around. Honestly, that's the core of my, everything that I make is I have no idea why I am doing this right now. Like I am making strange video art and putting it on a TikTok account that I just opened mm. uh, with, with music <laughs> that I just made on a cost later. Like, right. I love, it looks like I'm crazy, but I'm, I think healing a little bit mm. to remember that making things is not synonymous with making things for giant corporations. Also someone in your, someone in your position, someone who has a level of responsibility and the breadth of responsibility that you do as a showrunner it's one of those things where it's like everything conspires to make you more conservative, to, to be safer and to, you know, <laughs> go with a safer choice in terms of yes. like, that's how you're sort of impl- implicitly incentivized because the penalties for making a mistake seem so dire. Right. Well, on the people who trust you too, you know, like, right. Exactly. I've Across cu- the board, like right. I've cut whole days of the show, not only because there was pressure politically, but also knowing that just like our crew was busted right um and we needed to to rap and yeah and they weren't okay so so yes mm. i always liked art i liked writing when i was a little kid because it was something i could do by myself yeah and, and when you're a showrunner you are in charge of the safety of a lot of people and it's easy to make a mistake and it's the consequences are real it's, it's a really really big deal when I hear you talking about like experimenting on TikTok or making something with your chaos later, et cetera, you know, I think about, um, you know, I, this is what it actually is supposed to be. You're supposed to be in slightly uncharted waters so that you can find something new and find something that activates the other stuff that you already know. And I feel like uh, when you, t- it's interesting to me that you use the word healing specifically mm. um, because that is, to me, that is correct. We're in this sort of business where the tension exists between please make something fantastic and great that you know not everyone can do but please do it in one of the most regimented ways possible using a template that we want to apply to everything oh while getting screamed at 
<laughs> you know, like on 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 zooms that are unbelievable. Like you wouldn't, they're X-rated. Uh, with in terms of like the the psychological manipulation and and the, who I feel like what you're just saying I'm very curious it kind of plays out on set mm-hmm. you know when we're shooting too right like yes you don't know why you didn't say that word mm-hmm. you know and then I have to say to the director why didn't you say the word <laughs> or 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 I'm like I didn't even notice he didn't say the word so thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Like, but there's, there needs to be space for horizontally powered collaborative um, communion and 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 conversation. And I found, I mean, that's I'd love to hear about like how set has changed if it has over time or if that space. I know it changes director to director, showrunner showrunner. I have found that what's changed from when I started in this business in 2013 and watching the people I worked for and kind of what that dialogue looked like from what I could see to when, you know, I became a showrunner, there's been a change in the level of comfort with the showrunner saying, I don't quite know what I'm doing yet, Mm. but trust me, Mm. uh, I need to, swirl around a little bit and steep in my with my room i don't know what the answer is going to be yet that used to be a safe thing to say like known okay this is the process it's still this is still the artistic process right Uh, you know give them some space make a bubble around them they'll come out with the right answer Mm -hmm. in the last few years it just doesn't seem like that's safe for my bosses anymore and i don't blame them you know, I think above them and above them somewhere, there's probably not even a person. It's it's a it's a group of shareholders. Right. There's a vice getting twisted that's taking a really really critical thin strange layer that looks like fucking around and wasting money but isn't, mm-hmm. and it's trying to remove it, and that is causing a lot of pain. Can we just dig into that for a second? Because I know one of the crucial sticking points for the WGA. And again, correct any mistakes that I make. This is just from the outside. It appears to me that the writing room size and then the duration of employment seems to be, you know, two critical issues that WGA is focused on. So can you give us a little bit of context of like when you say the writing rooms, you know, were maybe a little bit bigger um, or, and you had more time to work on it. Can you just sort of how, how big is a typical writing room in 2013 versus today? And, and like, how have things changed there? I, I want to be very careful uh, talking about this one okay. uh, because um, it's, it's loaded up and, and I think, you know, the people we're negotiating with are uh, hoping that, that it becomes a, a, a crack um, in our solidarity uh, to be used. Mm. And, and I think every showrunner sort of has a different answer for this one personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so nothing I say about normal sizes of rooms, so much change was happening when I came, I only worked on one network show ever for one season. That was the 24 reboot, uh, which was kind mm. of awesome, uh, because I love, <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I, I love high literary shit and fucking, I love Jack Bauer, but I, but I learned a lot <laughs> I learned a lot about sort of velocity in television and downhill movement and drive and 
and and things I needed coming out of a literary background and needed to know. The answers were already different for all those different kinds of shows. Sure. And then different again for different kinds of showrunners. And yes, long ago, there, there were 22 episode orders and, you know, a lot of change happened. It's very specific. I have what I like, but I think the core idea that I do feel fine saying here is that mm-hmm. in multiple ways, slowly over time, um, the studio and network and streamer system has taken away the power of uh, the the showrunner to use resources on writers when they're needed, and and that may be in set uh, on set. That's a terrible problem because we have no mentorship or uh, growth system in place. Mm-hmm. I would think it was a tremendous problem that they should uh, think more about because they will save a lot of money if they have. Uh, a new showrunner who has been on set for four months. Uh, and the, the thing that person goes and does doesn't fall apart. Like uh, it's, it's easy to me that, that, but just like there's a total pool of money. I think that's just like writers, you know, they matter in different places and spaces and times along the way. And we I've noticed sort of that getting chipped away on the front end. Mm-hmm. And then once you lose it on the front end, then you try to ask for it deeper. That norm has changed too. And you get a no when you're like, what? Wait, no, I, I need, we have to rehire two writers right now. I can't take your notes that are so many do my job and, and sleep. <laughs> but like, we have the solution. She's right there. Uh, he's right there. They were in our room and you get a no. And that's that's cost suppression for profit. Mm. So I, I think I think the, the the general idea there, still trying to be careful, <laughs> is that yeah yeah, guarantee a bunch of shit uh, that that I can say I need and can't get a no to, um, you know. And I think so. I I wasn't hyper aware of that deal point going into the strike. But I'm behind the WGA, and I understand exactly why this is critical. As a as a new WGA member, <laughs> the thing that I think is interesting too is, um, you know, there, there's a perspective that is informed by acting, where if the schedule's running hot and we're just trying to make our day, anything that doesn't have a sort of objective metric attached to it is the thing that can get compressed. Mm. So you can convince yourself that a performance is good enough. If we got it in a take. Let's move on, you know, mm. and that's a compressible thing because there's no way to objectively validate whether we actually got it. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a basis of opinion. So anything that's along those lines, quality, uh, amount of time that it requires to get an effective usable outcome, those things start getting compressed because everyone's looking at these other objective metrics, which are incredibly blunt instruments for measuring anything, right? How many people looked over, you know, if you see a show now, in a world that's incentivized to go with very short-term returns, you're like, well, what's the value of a piece of art? It's it's judged over time. It's judged over sometimes multiple decades, the true value of it. Sure. But we don't measure that way. You're presupposing that our employers think we're making arts, but I... <laughs> no, 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 I'm not, I'm not at all. I'm saying that like, but that's a perspective that that we often have to approach it with right. in order to do anything interesting. Right? I have a, I have a question for you, Hoon, uh, sure. exactly about that. Because, you know, I my approach standing on set was 
I have a pretty good sense if we got it or not, but I also, mm-hmm. I really trust the director. If the director is saying to me, we do not. Um, I really trust the director. If the director is saying to me, we do, you just can't tell yet. Um, but for you, mm-hmm. I do think you know when you don't have it yet, right? The, se- se- like the, you, the second take, uh, you thought it was like a C plus and the director goes moving on. <laughs> Is, is that scary or am I wrong? Do you, do you, are you like, oh, I did. I, I, I don't think I'm, I don't know that I am supposed to say this. This is how I honestly feel about my own process. That's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I mean, by, yeah. by which I mean, you know, there are a lot of ways that I think actors feel uh, a lack of agency and therefore sometimes there's behaviors that exhibit because of that sense of lack of agency. Mm. Sometimes that can result in, you know, not such great behavior from people that, you know, off set are lovely people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's at the core of it is sometimes this sense of like, I have only this time to really dictate anything in this show before it's taken out of my hands. So I, this is my, this is my last stand every setup. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I will say is that I know for a fact, for me, there are takes that I probably felt, and I, and this has been more clearly illustrated to me in the age of self tapes um, where I'm like, that was it. That was great. And then if I were to see playback, <laughs> I'd probably be like, Ooh, that was not so different from the first one. Maybe even worse. <laughs> I just felt better about it because right. of an, any number of, um, you know, meteorological things right. that are going on. Right. But maybe that's not good for the performance too. Right. Like this is, this is that's why right. yeah. we like trust. Exactly. Trust that. between me and Hoon and the director if I if I'm if we have the right healthy connection and and I say to him no you got it uh, that's that's right that saves time that, that saves, saves time. time and then that saves maybe and over the long term if that relationship is good mm-hmm. it's it's a great feeling like I like it's um it's it's team sports yeah you know you get that feeling where it's like feeling a part a, a part of a larger group is in and of itself a rush. And so I love that. When I get to that place where I'm like, these people have my back. Sometimes this happens like the, <laughs> like my, one of the times I noticed most clearly was uh, camera operators. Mm-hmm. Like, right. And like sometimes, you know, on occasion, maybe a director comes in, they're a little underwater, you know, and you just kind of like catch eyes mm. with your A-cam operator. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to do this. And you're like, <laughs> do that, you know? I love and it. Then, we can make it happen. We can solve a problem before it shows up. You know, like I love we have that. enough experience on the set and you're like, if we do this move that they want us to do, that's fine. But if we time it exactly like he showed us, it'll work. We're going to be late. You're not going to know oh, the character, you know, I'm, you I'm, just have to solve that problem yourself. I love that feeling. You know, but mm. if you go rogue and it works, it's accepted, uh, which that's is right. fun. very, very fun. <laughs> But I, but I'll also sniff out what uh, you know the DP is trying to do mm-hmm. because uh, you know his his thing he's got going with the director. I'd be like, no, you know, like that's part of the, <laughs> yeah. that's part of the, the game too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's a loving thing, Matt. I know you want to jump in. I still want to. I, 
you just made me think of a couple of things. I mean, first of all, uh, Roger Deakins on his podcast talked about how intimate, and he operates right so often, and how intimate his relationship is with the actors. He's the closest and the director's over in Video Village or whatever. And so that mm. at, that aspect of collaboration is is really cool. I, I just wanted to ask, you talked about like when it's working with the director and the showrunner. Have It seems to me as an outsider that, we're seeing more um, within these prestige shows, the kind of shows that you all are working on, we see more of like a smaller subset of directors that are doing a handful of things or like for, um, you know, for C, one director directing all 10 episodes um, of, of a season. I've done that. I've done both versions. What's your take? What's your take? Like, how is that? How has that worked for you? Or- um, I mean, when the director is doing every episode, I work for that person. So, mm. uh, that, 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 I don't know if that's clear really, but like, and also I'm, I'm talking about maniac that, that was an amazing jump for me into a new space. Mm. Uh, you know, perfectly willing to accept this kind of, um, showrunner lowercase S, uh, or, or like head, head of the writing department thing, you know, like I, I, I was, I accepted that consensually, you know, I think, um, I don't think though it's great for the person who's not the writer to not be able to step back and be watching the macro of the season so the director can make a great episode of television. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to me in TV, a director's job is to make episodes of television and it's impossible. Let me lose my mind trying to remember uh, what I thought I was going to put in for a line uh, in in episode six while we're shooting episode nine. Right. Let me go crazy. Right. <laughs> let, let me tell the actor, I'm not going to brainstorm with you right now because I know that would be destabilizing. But I do know that if we do this here, it protects you. And and let the director be like, great. OK. You know, like it kind of needs a triangle of a power system in that way. And I, and I don't really know because everything's so highly serialized Mm. in, in prestige stories, unless, unless the, um, the person directing is also just completely writing everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't love that. I won't, I won't do that again (laughs) and try to try to be anywhere near set, put it that way. It's either like, but I just won't do that again. I mean, I'll either show run in the way that I have or direct movies because there's something a little bit fishy about um, one director doing every, the power, it's very hard to get it right power wise and to, for, for a dialogue between the actors and the writers to, to be real. It seems like the subset is maybe the best, right? If you have like each, each director doing a handful of episodes, maybe. So you get some consistency across those things. Like I know when Greg, um, uh, Greg Gutanis, who worked on on Banshee, he was a co-showrunner with Jonathan Tropper. He talked about how when he was looking at the layout for House of the Dragon, he wanted to specifically take these episodes, you know, one, two, and ten. Um, and so, like, he was able to incorporate things that he knew were coming in ten into two, um, and think about it in that way. So, I'm just kind of curious that that kind of more blended approach. Who you you inhaled in a way that made me wonder if you were. <laughs> questioning if that I think everyone has different experiences too it just depends kind of who the people are I just think that it's at the end of the day you know you just want to trust the people you're with yeah and yeah if that's there if that's not there the structure doesn't matter 
Right. The structure, you, you'll find ways to sabotage each other and yourselves. Like yeah. if the trust is there, the walls are quite fluid. Like yes. people take yes. on the thing that is needed. It's beautiful when that happens. And that's a wonderful place to be, you know? And, and as an actor, again, as from an acting perspective, when you feel that trust from somebody, immediately you do have more voice, you have more agency. And then you become, I think, you actually become more careful about using it. I think mm -hmm. there's like a sense of responsibility there. Mm. And I'm talking about most reasonable people. I mean, uh, you know, D-bags and a-holes aside, there's like a <laughs> whole category, which like, they're just going to- Wait, there right. any, there's the no one like that in our business? <laughs> Not in our industry, no. Um, but just, just going, Hoon, going back to what you said about the, uh, the most vulnerable parts of the, the mechanism are the kind of the ones you can't quite quantify. And those are the yeah. things getting stripped out. Rehearsal, the, the rehearsal moment in the process of television is is one of these. And and there's kind of two also because there's a there's a conversation, mm -hmm. there's a lighting setup. Maybe the blocking got kind of worked out because you have to get the lighting done. But if there's a bigger problem that goes beyond the blocking and the writing that somebody's not okay with that will take that time and then you have to do the lighting and then you're doing the blocking uh, while everyone's standing there. Um, and you, when you have the power to, to take a breath in those moments, and I can say to the MindLine producer, it's important, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, or, or um, my director can say to me, Patrick, go away. You're pitching eight <laughs> things and confusing the shit out of everyone. Uh -huh, uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Or even, <laughs> you know, me, uh, me changing the blocking after the first take, uh, that's very frustrating uh, for everyone. But it's not frustrating for the actor if I see the problem that the blocking is creating and I'm fixing it. So, like, each member of that triangle is protecting each other at different moments. Mm. Um, but we're also kind of necessarily in conflict at certain moments. You need some time and space. You need it to be seven minutes and not two to, for, for the emotional connections to stay connected. And let me, let me tie that back to that, that first part of the conversation that Matt's talking about with, the, with like um, writer's rooms, for example. Mm -hmm. When I looked at that situation, my instinctive feeling is there must be such a wide array of people's opinions about how many people they want in a room, how long they think is necessary. It can vary, like, if only because the stories are so widely different and divergent, right? You're not telling, you're, we're not all telling the same type of tale in every show. Mm -hmm. So the requirements are different. But the place where the logic makes sense to me is that if one assumes that a compression and contraction of budget is always in the playbook for studios, you're looking for something that's incompressible. And there's just no way to get around a body. Yes. Right? Like, that's why that metric, I understand that use of the metric. I think, it, again, it's it's not as nuanced as maybe one would hope. Mm -hmm. But if if the contract says this many people have to be sure. in a room, it's super hard to get around. And I would also, right. I'd also right. point right. out that the DGA has had the same kind of uh, minimum in place forever about uh, the, uh, mm -hmm. their their team. Mm. Um, this is not like some, a crazy new idea. This is... A yes, but to Patrick's point, I think the larger question is that there that you want a you want a certain amount of security that you will have the thing you need, whatever form that actually takes. Mm. And so I think that that is like 
that's one of the things that fuels the question of like, well, if someone's working against you in the sense that they're looking for the way around that, they're looking for an end run somehow. Right. How right. do you block that in in a as clear a way as possible? That's one rationale I could see for that. But I would, in some ways, the answer is probably like, again, it's it, it sounds so cliche, but it really does boil down to like some way to build in trust more securely and allow for flexibility. Well, yeah, and that's why it didn't need to be there before because that's right. before when we're in the room stage and the the studio or the, the network is like, this is boarding out at 18 days. Uh, mm-hmm. Can we, we, we can't do this. Uh, this is not supposed to be an expensive episode. Right. And you can be like, okay, I know I'm getting the 20 day finale. I know I'm getting uh, 16 for nine. I can give this back. And I, this is, you know, watching it on the bridge, the leftovers uh, always. And then that stayed true. Mm-hmm. What changed was you'd give back the days in the room and then you'd find out the finale was only 12 days and episode yeah. nine was only seven days later. Yeah. So you're like, so you're like, well, now I'm fucked because that thing I gave back in the earlier episode is the only way I can make it work with that reduction of resources deeper yeah. in the, but you don't, you don't know. It's I didn't think it was a rule that could get broken. I think that the this the the strike is happening at this way with this intensity partially because it, people are sensing we're at a threshold where this compression can't continue, and 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 there's like the, the if it's an inexorable march towards it, we're going to break anyway. Um, and yeah. like to, when Patrick was talking about that, by the way, that's like a, such a beautiful way to express the sort of protection mm. of each other, you know, coming in coming into shows that were lower budget had to be shot fast, like that sort of thing. That was like how I learned in the business. And so very quickly I was like, okay, if, if I want to have the ability to have any flex on the day, I have to try to build in as much buffer time as possible on my end. Mm-hmm. So that means like I have to get ahead of the script so that I can send any notes to whoever days in advance so that they're not planning something that we then have to re-examine, you know? And if they take my input, great. If they don't, I couldn't have changed that anyway. You're talking about internal in the company. Yeah, internally. So that when we get there, so that if the if there is an issue that's come up, A, you've addressed as many of those things as possible before the day. So you're dealing with a, a smaller subset of potential issues. And that hopefully whatever time is there, you can solve yeah. whatever remaining thing exists. And if it's like reblocking at least you're not disagreeing about motivations in the scene or outputs and outcomes. You know, you're just looking at what's the best way to do it. Let me yes and this story or actually tell part two, <laughs> because this is part of the problem. We're going to shoot a scene that Hoon uh, just feels is fucked up uh, for his character. And it's we're going to shoot it on Friday. And it's a big one because it's really going to mean a lot. Uh, for the the next three episodes and really his character. Hoon's given me a note that I actually have not never thought of before, which happens all the time when actors are deep inside the character. They're, they're imagining the point of view of the character deeper than I can uh, because I have to be up a little bit higher. I do my best, but I, I can miss. He's pointing out a real true thing, but it also suggests a great idea, a great change. 
that's going to make the show better. I read his email and I know that if I just publish that right now, I'm fucked. Right. <laughs> right. By the right. by the the incoming that's about to come my way. Uh, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. That was signed off on. There we get feedback coming back down. It's even kind of worse. It was our boss who only can come and talk to us once every two weeks signed off on that scene three days ago. And I'm too scared to call her and say, Patrick changed this thing. I don't know why, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, this is the better idea. So like, this can be fixed too. I'm not, and I'm not really saying this in a blamey way at all. It's kind of painful watching the people you like above you in the same position, which is like, I hate that I'm having to say this to you right now, but, um, and then I have to make a choice. This is all in a vacuum too, not talking mm-hmm. to anyone in the company. Uh, how do I communicate and make this point the right way and get it all done? Or how do I just publish it? two hours before the scene and fuck it. I'll deal with the consequences (laughs) later. Or what I'm not going to do is go and gaslight him uh, Mm -hmm. about how his idea is wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is, a, I think, a very easy and cowardly way to approach being a showrunner. Um, To not realize that the harder path and the better idea came from someone who is trusting you and you're going to pretend that he's wrong. So... I think I the problem with me, my dialogue with Hoon, though, is I need to get some information before I can even go back to him and start talking to him. Because uh, I can't really say to him. Well, here, here's the thing, though. I think that if, in, if me personally, I would much rather hear that than get the gaslighting that I can see through. Right, or, right be given another kind of line because ultimately at the end of the day, like we're all, we're all pulling on the same team. So if someone says to me, Hey, I need you to give me this win here, you know, like that I'm, I'm happy to do it. Like Uh, I'll bring it to the table. That's not my job. That's your job. And I, I don't know what your job is. I don't know how hard it is. You know? Well, I think that about, about yours too. And I think that's, I think that's a problem not communicated by showrunners too much. The only, the only time I would ever do that is really not to, I, I, I would just be like, you need to do it. Yeah. And that, that would be the conversation because it's, it's also toxic. I've learned. And because I've certainly made this mistake, uh, uh, trying to pretend like I'm not the boss. Um, right. Yes, 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 yes. And, and yeah. like sidle up alongside <laughs> and be like, this sucks, doesn't it? You know, like that does not feel safe. You know, right. Each one of these moments has its correct solution. Um, and there almost always is one, a healthy one mm-hmm. that, that is just honest and ordered properly and communicated cleanly. And who knows by by Wednesday that we're doing we're doing it different. And so do his colleagues, by the way. Right. Who all have to change what they're doing, probably energetically. And, you know, it's mad. This all of this is in a context of insanity, of Right. Of, of, of hundreds of people walking in different people who are three weeks in the future on scouts and zooms and it's chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. But all yeah. of which is to say, you know, the time is not, the, I feel like the way that things are changing and have been changing over some time, there, there is just a point at which 
like I'll, I'll take, you know, I've, I've worked on a bunch of action shows and like the pace of second unit doing action versus main unit doing drama, they work in very, very different ways. And, and there's mm. a reason for it. Like the way uh, I've seen it done with action, for example, sometimes you need a very up rhythm, right? So it's actually not a great idea to sit there and talk and talk and talk and try to solve a problem. Mm. Like people get cold, people lose juice, like that once they find it, once they catch a wave, like you ride the wave, mm. right? You, you, you get as many setups as you can done while everyone is in the mm -hmm. zone and everyone's in this pocket, right? And um, there's something to sort of seeing that the the TikTok different rhythms there. But what I do think is happening is like in an environment like action, if you were to take the compression that's ongoing to its illogical extreme or not so illogical extreme, something that could happen very easily in the next couple of years, you're guaranteeing injury, guaranteeing it, mm. you know? across multiple people, mm -hmm. sometimes your stars, like these become very pragmatic issues that really center around time. Mm -hmm. They center around having enough time that people can recover, can rest, can know what they're doing, can avoid mental panic, you know, in very charged situations. I feel like that, in that context, it's very, very clear. Like it's a very specific danger. Right. But those emotional dangers and story dangers exist on the drama side too. That, yeah, that's not not true on the other side, too. It's just very clearly demonstrated in a specific way on the If someone breaks the their arm, sure. But like, yeah, right, right. people, I think, are regularly getting traumatized working on TV shows mentally. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. Men mental health, uh, just, just if I just soapbox yeah, just for a for second. It. Go for it. Yeah. You know, I'm not in charge of the negotiating points. Uh, I trust the WGAs and the committee. But one thing that's not there now, and I, I think it's very obvious that it should be uh, is resources dedicated to the mental health of above and below the line during production. Mm. And I, I, I can say that just with absolute certainty because I just shot during a pandemic mm -hmm. and watched as the studios collaborated uh, together because it was an emergency for them to keep making money. Uh, how do we do this? Um, we build a team of people, uh, we, we pay them salaries. There are four of them on the COVID team. You know, that it's gonna cost us 500 grand to make a mm -hmm. cohesive team that uh, is tracking the COVID situation and the testing and the groups and the, the logistics of it. They're gonna be uh, medical experts. They're gonna be able to administer. We, we're gonna have them in this trailer here. It happened fast, we, they did it and it worked. Mm -hmm. So you can no longer make the argument to me that you cannot add a health professional to a production and make it continue to work and work better to keep people safe. I just saw it. I just saw it. Mm -hmm. And it's not that expensive. I think uh, some of the mental health stuff is coming from the pressure uh, that has been building up that we've been talking about. It's always true. The, these are people below the line are passionate in a way that makes them vulnerable to being exploited. Mm -hmm. uh, actors are emotionally vulnerable. Literally, that's their job to have their armor off so they can perform well. And so if something that would have been a two happens when they're opened up, it's a t it really is a 10, mm. you know, in terms of p the pain, the mental health pain. And not it drives me crazy to think like, Anyone would hear what I just said, said and go like, boo-hoo, 
you're a millionaire, you're an actor, you're in Hollywood. But it's like, I'm sorry, but uh, this is actually um, dangerous in this way. Uh, and, and I think like I would love for more resources next time around, maybe. Or mm. I would love, I, I, I've been trying, you know, in my little production company just to ideate, uh, uh, you know, with even with, with um, Monkey Paw, with, with my colleagues, what is a system that can make sense? What can be added to the production office on a budget line uh, that is um, our mental health uh, oversight person? You know, like, what does that role look like? Right. Comms, even comms. The way an actor gets an email and what it sounds like, especially a person of color uh, who's feeling um, not not seen, uh, a terse email uh, after a particularly bad day uh, from a white as hell production office uh, is is a second microaggression. Mm-hmm. There's no one looking after that anywhere. Yeah, you know. And I think the end of this whole speech is this will also save money. You know, right. right. I'm not even saying do this for the, the, the good of mental health. I'm saying this will save money. And, and, and it would make sense. We, we watched as an intimacy coordinator wasn't an idea, was a kind of strange, weird idea. And then suddenly was like, mm-hmm. how the fuck did we not have this idea happening right. always? Because right. like, of course. Those, yeah. so all right, I'm getting off the soapbox, but I no, no, but it's a great idea, um, and uh, yeah, look, you're you're thinking about this stuff, man. You're you're like right there, uh, you know, above and beyond even. You and can't anticipating. not. You can't not. Yeah. Mm. yeah. If you have this job, same with him. It's. A, I, I remember a friend of mine telling, uh, saying this once. It was, it was a debate between him. He was an actor. He was a stage performer in a musical, and uh, stage hand on the side, and uh, it was one of my favorite stories. And they were friends. They were they were ribbing each other. They were mm-hmm. you know just going back and forth. And he was about to go on. <laughs> like there's a music cue coming up. He's about to go on, and it gets a little heated. And he's kind of like, "Oh, you're gonna go out and sing your do your little song and dance like the guys." Oh. Just giving shit <laughs> and my 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 friend turns to him and goes, he goes, just before he goes, I goes, "Hey, I could learn to do what you do in two weeks. You could never." Do <laughs> and then he goes on stage. <laughs> right. And yeah. I was like, that's genius. But there's something to it. There's a, there's a sense of when people don't understand what the job is. Right. It's very easy to make an assumption about what's required for the job. Right. For and sure. I know very serious. I know a lot of serious actors. I would put count myself in this category where I, I feel like I'm a rhythm actor. And so I don't necessarily want to get into the green room and really bubble up and be quiet for a long period of time and then come out. And like, I don't really want that because to me, that's, that's not that helpful to me. And it, key, it cuts me off from the crew mentally. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not in tune with them. Right. So I can't make small adjustments. I just feel less light on my feet, but there are other people where that's what they need. Mm-hmm. And it's like, go do that thing by all means, do that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. But just because I don't do that doesn't mean I should disrespect what they do. Oh yeah. Right. 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 And similarly, like, God, I mean, <laughs> very guilty of this as well, but like, uh, you know, trying to get notes to writers days in advance is partially because on the day, I don't want to be disrespectful to what they're doing. I don't want to be disrespectful for their job. Like mm-hmm. their job is to take care of this part. My job is to do this part on the day. That's what we do. But so I try to get all that handled prior 
so that they can either take it on board or don't. That's that's yeah. their. I don't want them coming in and giving me a line reading. I don't want right. to tell them how <laughs> to do their job, right? Right. So it's like it's. I think that's fair, <laughs> and it's like that collaboration happens all the time in a production, like line producers and directors and showrunners. They all figure it out and they have different perspectives on it. I don't know why we aren't expanding that idea to studios and vice versa. Well, I do because we're compressing that idea. Because yeah, that's I mean, prep. that's the thing. Prep, that's like, give me two more weeks of prep. Why would you need that? The last right. show, we, you know, because, because we need time to have three meetings. Right. Uh, but also have it all figured out. Like, don't, don't be, you know, well, confused about what you're going to do, right? I, there's, no, there's not quite, for me, such thing as all figured out. No. But, <laughs> but I, that's, there's a good chaos um, between yeah. the space of being prepared and not knowing what's going to happen where I, right. I live inside that, that whatever that little place is where anything could happen, but we, we all know what we're doing and trust each other. And I think mm-hmm. just to say something kind of, I weirdly had this thought walking up here, but a happy thought, uh, uh, just like something joyful about our jobs in that little slice of chaos where I, I'm not going to give Huna line reading, but I am going to be like, what if you said this? That's right. And, and he's like, yeah, oh man. You know, like the, we, we heal each other faster than people should be able to heal the pro like when, when you're, when you're collaboratively making uh, the, the, the joy of the process to me is it's a little bit like that uh, cup of water, Indiana Jones pours on his dad's, belly Mm -hmm. uh Mm. like that gunshot wound should not be able to be healed that fast right but that actually is possible if the rich healthy kind of churn is happening on the day and that's what's held the whole system together this whole time that we 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 get hurt it's very hard it's very volatile but then we we heal fast when we get to get our spaces yeah and if if you take that away because you've come from tech and who you don't care or whatever. If you, if, if you don't take a second to understand that what I'm saying isn't a childish um, uh, ask for just like an indulgence, but it's actually, this is, this is a critical element of making. Um, we will heal each other if you give us the stop down and the t- extra day to prep yeah. and the 14 extra minutes before the lighting setup and you miss the day and, uh, you know, sometimes there needs to be a, 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 some, I don't know, some flex, some, mm-hmm. some around situational moments in order for the whole system to work. And I, I feel like, I feel like it's like they're taking the cartilage out of the knee and being like, why, why can't you run? <sighs> well, Matt, you know, like you actually just said this where you said like, you know, to have everything figured out. It's like in some, in some senses, that's part of the problem, right? Mm. Some sense it's like anybody who's been on set, even in the most well-planned thing, they understand there's going to be a need to improvise at some point. There needs to sure. be a sense of play at some point. To get the best be, thing, right? You're like, yeah. yeah. Sometimes even just to get it done, yeah, like, in, that too. like in some locations, the weather kicks up, like a light gets ripped mm-hmm. off like a stand or whatever. You're just like, well, guess what? If you're on a stopwatch, you're done. You're done for today, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But what I love about the industry, to, to <laughs> add on to the, the happy thoughts, um, and I think Matt knows this, I used to work in tech. I used to work, you know, for, for tech startups. And it's like, I've never been in an 
an industry where like failure kind of just doesn't really happen. Mm. It's like people just figure it out. Even the failures that happen on day to day, they get accounted for and fixed. They get like something can be jury rigged, something can be jury rigged later down the line. It's just, and in theater, it's the same idea of the show must go on. Like people just, unless someone literally drops dead on the stage, like that show is going to continue. That is how my show starts. That's how it starts. Yeah, episode one. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I did read that. But you know, like that is how the industry is actually geared to work. Mm -hmm. So which is to me, it's like, that's the optimistic heart of it for me is if we get the sense on the, on this side of it, if we get the sense for real that the studios are like, we're kind of in it together. Like we are in it together. Partnership. We'll give you the sun and the moon and the stars. We will yeah. like burn our bodies and our souls to try mm-hmm. to get this thing done to the best of our abilities. And that's like, you see that just top to bottom in any set that's worth its salt. You see it yeah. from every single quarter. And like, it's a hugely inspiring thing for me personally. Mm-hmm. It's a right? it's a hugely inspiring thing as somebody on the outside to see it. Like we, we've said, yeah. you know, my, my co-host has said it many times, like, movies, TV shows, these are miracles. Like what you are creating and capturing the fact that you're able to balance all of these different competing interests and the day uh, and everything else is happening and capture what you have captured already in your careers is something that's just really astounding. Well, so uh, It's because the flow state of 20 merged minds mm. is more powerful than a person. It's the most powerful thing I think that we have. As humans, I agree, and and I agree. and you know, I I'll, I'll I'll admit that in high school, I might have been a person who said the words theater kid with some derision. Uh huh. I'm I'm I might have been one of those people, not because I didn't like the arts, but because it seemed so intimate and weird over there. I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I hate. I, I'm a full convert. Uh, call me a theater kid forever. Because all that means is this is the best way we have to do things. It should be how we do things. It should be how we do things. Like vertical power, then sliding down to a horizontal group that's real. And then and flexing up back. That's the most powerful form of human communion. Uh, And it's more than any person and more than any boardroom. And, And I think, you know. That's why we're going to fucking win too. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Part of why, part of why uh, you know, there's an idealization of, of theater in particular in the acting realm. You know, some of it is because the stakes are lower and that therefore the pressure is less. Mm. I think that's part of it. But also from an actor's perspective and I guess from the entire show's perspective, for every night, every performance that goes on, for however long that lasts, 90 minutes to three hours, you have to trust people because there's no stopping the train. Right. So the director has to give up Mm -hmm. the reins every day, Mm -hmm. every time there's a show. The producer has to surrender everything every time there's a show. The actor has to trust the stage manager and uh, all of the running crew and their castmates every time there's a show, but they get to drive for that two hours that they're on stage. Mm. So like the practice of trust is built into the theatrical process. And it doesn't have to be in film and TV, but like with everything else, it works best when it is. When it does, yeah. But it doesn't have to be. There's a way to run a set in an incredibly draconic, negative, terrible way where right. you are micromanaging every single thing that's going on. 
and it's painful, right? It's a painful thing to experience. It's a painful thing probably to execute. Ah, I, I, I can speak to that if you want later. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to, I do want to do this just because you talked about the flow state and 20 minds coming together. And because it's fall of 2023, we're legally obligated to discuss AI now, um, at, <laughs> at 56 minutes into this podcast. So, so can we can we just talk a little bit about that? Because I know it means a lot um, to both of you and both of well, who who should talk about it? Because that was one of his big ones at the top. I'm very interested. I don't think that there, there's no way around it. It's going to happen. It's we we don't we're not a we're not a race that backs off of innovation. We mm. if we create a problem with innovation, I do believe our best hope is usually to innovate through to a solution as opposed to walk things back. We don't do, we don't do walking back very well. Mm-hmm. I feel like for the most part, as soon as somebody sniffs the potential for massive increased profit, that, that genie's out of the bottle. What I think there's a larger question about the very philosophical nature of the use of AI in what we do, which I think is, um, it, I, I just experience a lot of dissonance about it. I don't think it, I think it's beside the point. So the, I mean, Sports cliches are easy, but the one thing I sometimes say to people when we chat about it is like, well, why don't we just have robots play sports? Yeah. Let's just do that. Because think about it. They can play any combination of game you want. They can go 24-7. You can see it all around, like round 24-7 if you want, every single day of the year. Um, you can set up any league you want. You can set up any rules you want. Everyone will know the rules automatically. Like, let's just do that. Because... There's probably a market for that too. But to me, on some visceral level, that's not why humans play sports. Well, or watch them. Right, or watch right. Them. Or watch them, right. Because you spectate something and you you tune into the narrative of what that athletic uh, event is telling you, right? So by the same token, it's like, it's not that I think AI can't eventually make a, a worthy TV show or AI, like an artificial performer that does a great job. It's that it's beside the point to me. It's... People doing stuff for people is the point. Right. People telling their stories to people, building their stories together and then giving them to people is the point of it to me. It's it's deeply rooted and essential to our humanity, right? Like the arts are the practice of our humanity, mm. first and foremost. Why would we outsource that if we didn't have to? Now, again, as a tool, we use tools all the time and I get that. Right. But there's at the at the root of mastery at some point, is curation, right? And so there, people are trying to leapfrog that step. They're trying to get to that point where it's like, well, we're just gonna have a bunch of stuff and then we'll have a human make the final call or whatever. It's like, well, that curation doesn't come easy. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, that's not an answer. It's like building a building and then bringing in the architect <laughs> to paint it. And, and yeah, yeah. yeah. There, it's, I, who, but again, it just, it just seems beside the point to me. Like, I don't, I very much, I so deeply relate to what you're saying. I feel like, uh, do you want to get a drink later? I mean, like, <laughs> I, was, I, I feel like I was confused a bit about the AI issue at the top of our strike because I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right? How? It, and it wasn't John Henry hubris. It was sort of like, no, that's not that. That's not the same as this because this is people linking yeah. together. Uh, and this is like uh, this kind of weird mutating mind meld thing that happens uh, with groups. And so it, it was, I, I kind of was not a, really aware of 
how much resources and how how much closer uh, the tech was to being able to spit out a script or whatever. But it's still beside the point to me. I'm like, great, it's beside the point. Great, go it's go cool. make a show uh, with AI. I'm gonna make mine because because it's not because of like I'm trying to dig a tunnel as fast as I can. No one else can write the thing I write because I'm me, mm. you know? So like, it's, it, it's a bit, now this is not an economic argument though. The, the, the issue is very real because I'm not so sure streamers want great, not good. That's exactly right. They just want to get to good enough. The shareholders can get their 9% with BB plus material. Like there's some formula where it works so they think, I think, uh, to yeah. to delete the expensive, fancy layer off of our industry um, and all the fancy pants artists who have all sorts of shit to say about their feelings. But um, I think the problem is the want on the other end is for great, for new, for weird, because new and, and what it comes down to for me is emotion. AI will not be a thing that I think about much in terms of like, oh no, now I'm going to be displaced mm -hmm. until there's a, a emotion, an entire set of emotions is also baked in to that AI. Um, and I, I would like to just point out that my 20 years ago, I had a great capstone senior thesis class on AI. And we use the matrix uh, also nice. uh, as one of our pieces for Plato and the, and the allegory of the cave. Yeah. And, and we, this professor, you know, she said, you guys are all 22 and this is what's going to define your lives, this conversation. So let's, let's read some Hegel uh, and think mm. about AI. <laughs> but, but what I wrote was, was based, my, my thesis statement was basically like stupidity has to exist for AI to satisfy my definition of intelligence, mm. um, mistake, emotion, uh, uh, confusion, you know, chaos and like all the human stuff. Mm -hmm. Intelligence means human to me because it, emotions are intelligence, uh, just a blurry, weird other kind that's probably smarter than your, your, your verbal thoughts. So I just, I agree. I, I, but I, I, what I fear is that, um, you know, there's a lot of things that we're saying, I think, that are right about our jobs that uh, the people who are responsible for paying for it, for dealing with shareholders, for making money, um, it just doesn't matter because they can show a profit in the next quarter if they do it this way. What I fear is that our whole industry will be destroyed because we've failed to communicate properly with with the people who we work for um about this is how we do it yes you know yes we're not i'm not actually fighting you i'm just like here's what it looks like when i'm sitting down to work on a scene by the way uh or here's why it can take me nine hours to change two lines mm -hmm. but i can get you a new draft uh in an hour sometimes right like, i'm i'm very interested in my immediate the executives immediately above me and what makes them worried what's up, what's hard in their job, but I can't, it's opaque now. Like mm -hmm. I'm, maybe it's me, 
and I'm a little fighty. Uh, uh, I, I used to be more, I was too, I was too kind of embattled and male in, in, in my, my direct aggressive response. And I think I've learned that is this communication has a lot of different facets mm-hmm. and, and sometimes it's gentle and sometimes it's listening. Um, and sometimes it's just saying like, I'll cut the scene, you know, like it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put up, I'm not going to make you go through a six hour monologue from me about why we're not cutting the scene. Sure. Okay. No problem. Yeah. We have a, we, we have these companies too that, you know, the, they're, they're getting bigger and bigger. They're becoming like multi-headed beasts and that creates a layer of abstraction away from the thing itself. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, a they're not incentivized. They don't have the time to necessarily like how do we make this sausage exactly. So they're not necessarily going to be as well informed as maybe they should be in order to make certain kinds of calls. They're being rewarded for the more expedient production of a widget. In this case, a film or a TV show, right? And they're putting it on shelves. Like it's that model, that mental model. Get it right? done. I don't care how you do it. When we talk about it as creators, we are rendering a service to make a thing. Like, like I do think about live performance in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is, if, if a musician goes on stage and they create a CD, you know, from that performance, that is an artifact of the thing they did. Yeah. But the thing right. they did is gone. Right, right. Right. It happened that night. Hey, th- this is a line from Station Eleven, Hoon. Yeah, I mean, you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. You, it happened. Like, it's gone. I'm telling you, Lori it checks Petty. every box. I'm telling you, but like that—that's what's so beautiful about it. It's like be, the because it's 100 percent real, mm-hmm. but it's completely intangible. There's no real trace of it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like that's kind of where a lot of us come from. The thought itself, which is then created into an artifact of of the page, but then. You know, if you're incentivized as an organization to put things on shelves so people can buy them, then you are applying the industrial model to everything. Right. Right. How quickly can I do it for a good enough quality that people will buy it? Mm-hmm. They will demand more quality only if the audience tells them the reason we're not buying it is because of quality. Which will, I think, will happen. I mean, I, I like to think so. I, it's a little more dire than is, I, 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 yeah, like it's not, it's not, I'm, I'm optimistic too, but I always am finding out that like uh, my obscure collage perspective on, you know, like some weird piece of art is not as valuable to, you know, like just like my mom as it is to me. That That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. But you could imagine, you know, a TV show that was on a cable network that ran for two seasons that got canceled and then suddenly was rediscovered and then renewed for a third season and brought back. Uh, so like audiences have a way uh, of finding things and really elevating them and making them part of the conversation. I, I think that that's like, I remember talking to castmates about, um, you know, one of the shows I was on and they were, they were kind of talking about, I, there was just some consternation. There were some younger actors, you know, and by that time I had reached that threshold. I was like, oh my God, I'm like the third oldest actor on this cast. <laughs> but, but you know, I was trying to say to them, like in my experience, just my perspective on this is it's not up to us to decide the quality of the show. That's in the hands of the audience. They're, they're mm-hmm. going to decide how valuable it is to them. And then in five years, some new group is going to discover them, could discover the show and they'll pass judgment again, mm-hmm. right? The only thing we can control is how we are with each other. 
and the type of company and culture we want to build here. And if we make that worthwhile, we're going to come away from this time with something very rich for ourselves, which will feed us in the future. But everything else, it's like, you can't second guess that. And so like it's so, so the pragmatic version of this is like Patrick and I are having a conversation about um, uh, some note in the script, right? It's far more important if we get on for us to solidify that relationship mm. than it is to try to decide who's right or wrong in the long to term. To figure it out. We, neither of us know. Neither in, of us know. Until right. Right. after we shoot it and then post, and then like we probably still won't ever know. Yeah, and then some new generation finds it and they go, wow, that has more resonance now than it did when it mm. came out, right? Right, right. But if we're doing our jobs properly, he's looking out for me and I'm looking out for him, right? Yep. I think, I think the thing you wrote is great and I think we can goose it this way. He goes, if you goose it that way, trust me, three episodes down the line, you're going to be kicking yourself because you just put yourself in a box. Like yeah. that's the way we look out for each other, negotiate it through the best of intentions and then hopefully we get a good time on the day. Like we, we make that thing sing. I've, I've, I've found that's still possible inside the company. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But I, I don't know if that's possible in my dialogue into the past. That's the chain. And that's, I, what, that's the thing. That's yeah. the thing that's like, I mean, it's. There's too many examples of, tough. of, of finding out there was a different uh, outcome and agenda that a, me a meeting was designed to get me to do something, uh, right. you know, premedit in a premeditated, it happens. I, ex I even accept that. Like, yes, I need, I need to be managed uh, and probably told pieces of, you know, like I accept that completely, but like there's a deeper trust of like, what are we doing? We're, we believe in this show and we're trying to make the best version. Why am I, why am I upset right now? It's not because I'm, uh, emotionally out of control. It's because I love this thing that we're trying to make so much that I'm just fighting to get for you bosses, like the best one. Yeah. I think like, but we're talking about the best version. There's a bad version, uh, you know, where, where actors, directors, showrunners, where, where people are kind of like st stealing money in what, in whatever mm. way we can. Mm. I've had a contractor before. And I've been in the position of an executive. That's the, I, I realized he's staring back at me. He's not answering my question. I can't do it without him and I can't fire him. Yeah. And he knows yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm just, I have to just pay this check, but I'm going to be mad at him too. You know, like <laughs> there's some, this is cap, big capitalism. So like, this is always going to be here somewhat, but yeah. it's, it's just a bit much right now. And, and he's like, he's like, I'm just trying to create the best thing. Exactly. I, you know, I, I, exactly. Or he's like, he's why is this guy me? giving me a hard time? Right. I can't tell. I'll never know. I, I, you you'll try never me. know. Well, I think, I mean, just to jump back for a second to this, to the AI portion of it, um, Patrick, there's something that you said on the Station Eleven podcast where um, I can't remember what episode it was. It was towards the end, but you described... Uh, you know, what you are doing in the art that you're creating is an act of communication. Um, and so back to what, you know, you're bringing something to the audience and through the pandemic, you had an experience and you were able to heal yourselves and then bring that and convey that in a way that audiences could, could accept. Well, I won't speak for everyone, by the way, too. For me, that, that was true. I think 
these things are so Fair. big, you know, like I wouldn't want to globally speak for everyone in that case, but generally, yes, I, yes, I think so. Fair. Fair. Um, but that you can't have that kind of communication coming from a large language model, right? It can analyze text and it can predict what text it could, could be, but it's never going to have, um, the kind of intention behind it. Oh, I think you can. I, think I was going to say, I was, I, I can imagine a version of a tool that would help me tremendously to do my job. Uh, that, 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 yeah, as a as a tool from for you using it, yes, I can see how that how that could be helpful. And even maybe one step further, I agree. Attunes to me emotionally, mm. like uh, knowing that I need to go to sleep, uh, or 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 like knowing that um, my stress levels about my kid back home are understandable, um, right? But maybe changing my behavior slightly and that a day off and re changing the schedule might be smart, but it doesn't mean that I'm broken. Mm -hmm. It means that like that, that would be the best way to keep going safely. I think I bet this exists for Hoon. And I think a lot of people in a lot of jobs, you want to say I'm struggling. I need help. Right. But pretty frequently when you do, that's the opening to get removed uh, so instantly. And so, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you're making kind of a, Hoon, what, what were you going to say? Hoon? I was going to say that like, you know, there's been a, a, quite a lot of success with chatbot models that provide companionship. Mm -hmm. These are, these are not anywhere near the level of sophistication of some of the tools out there. The reason why they're successful is because the need is intense on the other side. Yeah. And so you're willing to ascribe agency to these models that maybe doesn't exist, but it's real enough for that person. And people get attached to them. Some people have gotten married to them or tried to. Like sure. it's it's emotionally real for those people. And um actually it was like um I think I'd mentioned this on the Matrix podcast, but like um like David Chalmers' book, he's like he argues that a digital entity is real, it's just not biological. Right. 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 And I think that that's like that's a very fair way to look at it. So if yeah. I, I have no doubt that AI generated things will create convincing works. Mm. This is why to me, the larger philosophical question is actually more important because if we set a bar and say, well, this is what a, is, is, is a quality work. And if AI can meet this, then it will have done it. I don't care if it can do it. I don't think it, it's not for me. And I think it's beside the point. Yes. Can it do it? Sure. But this is why I bring up things like just have a robot exercise for you. Right. Yeah. You, you'll get all your steps in. It's beside the point. Some things, yes. Some things, no. I, that's, yeah. And, and I love what you said just now, Hoon, about the philosophical point. I'm pretty sure that uh, any AI can pass the Turing test on me. Yeah. Now, you know, and you, as a thought experiment, you could imagine uh, a production saying that you have a um, you have an on-site assistant and then you have another assistant who's in New York and never tell me that that is uh, a AI generated assistant. Uh, I mean, I don't know about that ethically, but that person would relieve a certain, I could share something with that person and an offload. So long as I, it gets out of me that something's good. But to go back to the mental health thing, I also think, Hold on a second. You know, 
there's there's this thing called an active listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, some productions have started using this, but this isn't even a therapist. This is mm-hmm. a person who's got some degree of training, who has a trailer on set. They're the active listener. And what they do is they sit in the set. And if you need to go talk to someone, you do, you go talk to them and they listen. Mm-hmm. And you cry uh, or you yell or whatever. And they listen and they, you know. What I hear you saying is, yeah. A place you're not going to be manipulated. Right. After, right. after you've been mind fucked all day. And, and um, that, that wouldn't cost very much either. Uh, and I think that, and then, you know, that person is on set, uh, the day that you're filming something that could be a trigger, um, uh, uh, about, about race, about Mm. sexual violence, about whatever could be a trigger. Um, that goes Mm -hmm. back to where's the person employed thinking about what's going to be a trigger, uh, for, for the people on this set, you know? So I just, I, I, the AI thing is interesting to me too about how it could help. I believe that. I agree too. Yeah. But I don't want to skip the step. No, that's the thing. That would so easily also help, which is the human, a little bit of resources baked into budgets and productions, not derided, not as a CYA, but to make it a better show. The show will be right. better It'll and cheaper uh, if you just spend a little bit in a different way. If, you're, if your objective is aligned, then the the path there may be crooked. There might be starts and stops. There might be some dead ends. But if the goals are somewhat in alignment, mm-hmm. then you've got a much much better chance at all getting there. And so this this idea of um, like what you're talking about with mental health, right? It's like it's care and feeding of your human beings in your workplace. Like this is an objective. And the further that a, a boss's concern gets abstracted away from that the easier it is for them to simply ignore it hmm. or to treat it like a commoditized whatever, right? A component, right? Just a component, um, a battery, <laughs> right? Well, if you ask me straight up, what's, what is the like one thing that will guarantee that you're going to make your day? Everyone feels good at the start of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You'll find a way if there aren't people in pain, like with no one to communicate with, about systemic mm. fucked upness that nobody's listening to them about. But like, if, if, a, if a core set of important people are like, let's go, this is cool. Mm-hmm. You'll make, you're gonna make your day. You are. <laughs> I've, cut whole, I've cut whole pages of scenes, you know, just like been like, we completely don't need this. Like, but we got it. you can't really be in a defensive posture to be free enough uh, to do that. Mm. Yeah, you see, like a, sometimes you get like um, you know a big a big emotional scene. Actor needs to prep. You know, you only got a couple shots. At it. You got a couple runs at this thing. That's it, mm-hmm. right? On on the schedule we have, you're not going to come back next week and do it either. <laughs> and that's just impossible. Mm-mm. So they take a little time. They create a little space. And they got it in one. Mm. Got it in one. Director was like, "I don't think we're getting better than that." How do you feel to the actor? Actor is like, "If you say we move on, we move on." And I'm like, like we, like we could have been on that thing for half a day yeah. trying to get it, you know. Hoon's voice just did something. Uh, it got quiet, quieter and gentler. Like he was doing the moment, the successful mm. moment. And just like mm. as a showrunner to learn this lesson, and it's a lesson, it's on me, but also 
I'm in a trailer in the parking lot in a very heated Zoom uh, that is like very ma- like macho and like chest puffy. I'm angry. I'm, I'm full of adrenaline. Uh, and the AD knocks on my door and it's like, they want you to come to set. Post is up on my monitor and my editor is sitting there waiting for a thing I told him I would tell him 45 minutes ago. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I have to go. My heart is pumping. I walk onto set and the actors, you know, are 10 minutes into that conversation. It's quiet mm. and it's, an, it's, it's energetic. There's been times I've walked in and been like, what? You know? <laughs> and, and just that, just that <laughs> destroys everyone's ability to, to solve the problem. Really, it's really hard to transition to know this thing. Um, and then, because you have to talk so much when you're a showrunner to defend. But then I think I learned, like, I need to, I need to get to that kind of dialogue, to what they're doing in here to be able to talk to them. And I need, I need to be loud over there and I need, I need to be quiet in here. And I, and I think the lesson in there too, is like, there's a lot of different languages in the successful production of a TV show, including the language of business. Uh, Mm. Yes. It's not like we don't know that. Right. Right. You're not saying there's no rules. You're not saying, you know, you're trying to do, you know, heart of darkness, uh, apocalypse now. Um, You're just looking for some safety and some support and some trust coming from above. Um, as well. You can't have it both ways. You can't not tell me about the numbers. This was always right. my big thing. Yes. Not your, it was the transfer. You can't tell me if my show made you money. Mm-hmm. Then tell you can't not tell me that, but tell yeah. me that I'm losing you money and yell at me. Right. And then expect me to um, be empathic about your situation too. Right. That's right. Right. I right. think I would be. I'm not sure the industry as a whole would be. I don't know if I even want to know. A lot, but like, I'm willing to code shift. Code shift isn't even the right word, but I'm will. I'm willing to be bilingual to do my job. Mm. We all are, I think, on this side of the fence, and I and I I think some signs that that was true on the other side would probably be significant. I'll tell you what: anyone who isn't just looking at what they're doing as as a temporary job that's just in between the jobs they really care about, if they're invested in what they're doing, if they are offered a certain amount of trust and uh, responsibility with the information, mm-hmm. I, I cannot believe it would not actually make them more likely to try to help mm-hmm. your problem, right? Like, we're not, gonna, we're not a bunch of people that are just like, ah, we've got them on the ropes now, let's milk them for everything we can. Like, that's not the main objective. If we were of that mindset, we'd already all be on Wall Street. Like we'd right. all be doing something <laughs> well, else. I can be, I can be pushed there if, if you I know, think months and months. I would months venture or that something. for most people. I mean, I don't know you that well, Patrick, but like my my assumption is that like it's a reactive thing. Yes, it's like that's someone what I mean. pushes you and you push back, right? right? And that's the thing. But if someone comes to you and been like, "Hey, here's the problem we're all trying to solve. Help me solve this because you have knowledge that I don't have. Let's figure out how to solve this problem. You know." So that we can all win. There's a way for us to all win. Yeah. Let's figure that out. You know, the, the tough, the tough part and how I'm really understanding too of the, the, the other side is there's sometimes you can't do that too. I, I, that's probably true. Yes, of course. To be a good boss, to protect you. I sometimes have to be standing in front of you, knowing something that I'm not telling you mm-hmm. that I bet you would want to know. And we have to like be, have made some kind of an agreement that I'm not lying when I'm doing that. 
And sometimes your executive above you is doing the same, right? Exactly. I accept that. I accept that too. That that's mm-hmm. that's above the line. Mm-hmm. That's what's special about Hollywood is like, you know, we 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 found this way to kind of communicate and not communicate at critical times for the good of the show. Um, you know, when Kirsten says, "I'll tell them after the play mm-hmm. about the conduct," I mean, it's not really yeah. a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They won't perform as well if they know. She's being a producer. Right. Um, and she is correct right there. But I generally, Huna, I fully agree. I think that's part of the agreement, though. To yes, me, that's part yes. of the agreement, right? Because you're like, but again, it, it, it fundamentally boils down to trust. Like, I've worked with Jonathan Tropper now for a long time. He's a great boss. And part of the reason why he's a great boss to me is because he understands me. He's one of the few people, like, it's just an industry where, especially when you're dealing with an actor, and this is, I'm... I don't think this is wrong. <laughs> They're like, we're trying to make you feel good most of the time because we think you'll be in this headspace to perform at your best, right? That's that's a that's a part of it. And I get it. Mm-hmm. And you could get angry about it. You could say like, well, they're kissing my ass or they're blowing smoke in my ass because and it's disingenuous. But I look at it like someone's trying to do their job to pull the best performance out of me possible. And that's what's happening. It's not malicious. It's this is what they're doing, right? Yeah. Jonathan is uh, was always savvy enough, and um, we came up kind of together. Banshee was his first TV thing. He gave it to me straight, and he knew that that's what I was actually looking for. I wasn't fishing for a compliment hidden in the criticism. I needed the criticism, mm-hmm. and like uh, you know, we've had meetings that are uncomfortable in the sense that he's like. You know I love you, but this it's not happening. You're you're fucking it up, right? Like, mm-hmm. and we we got to recalibrate something, and then we'll hash it out. We'll figure it out. But like, that's someone I can trust mm-hmm. because that person trusts me to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. But knows I can't see from that thirty thousand foot perspective. That's not my job. We're tactical on the ground, and he's strategic. Like that's if it works well. We get the best of both worlds. Mm. We get to bring the little detail in that says, "Hey, you know, if we tried this." I know we're going to be doing this thing later in the episode. Like, what do you think about trying these? Just that he knows that logic connection. Just that he knows how you're vulnerable. Because I bet it's really scary when you're talking to like a writer on set and they're like, can you just do it this way? And you're like, yeah, but what about that scene we already shot? And they're like, what? Yeah, that's scary. Because it's like, I'm I'm doing a specific. Mackenzie Davis uh, probably had to trust me the most out of every actor just based on whose crossboarding got most inverted. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And man, did she trust me. Mm. And man, am I grateful for the risk she was willing to take to trust me because, you know, there were times I didn't know uh, how. I did know it would work, but I didn't have the answer Mm. uh, to the question that she needed me to have. You know, and I remember on set one day her saying, just tell me what to do. Mm. And I, 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 I received it kind of defensively. Mm. Like she was like, I give up. Like, fine, fuck you. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'm yes, a robot. Right. You do like, run my marionette strings. And she actually was not saying that. Right. She was telling me what she needed me to do at that moment um, to, to be okay. And I think this step in learning these these are such nuanced things but you writers are coming from a weird kind of writer introvert space uh and have they have to learn about management and leadership and 
and what she meant. And that was just like a really critical moment for me when I realized she wasn't being an asshole. She was saying, okay, since you don't know, I'm still here, but now I need this. Right. You know, and you're going to have to find some kind of way of communicating and holding yourself where you're able to do that. And that's on you. My first big TV series regular job coincided with my first big animated voiceover job. Mm. And the voice director for that, uh, Andrea Romano, is like, she's a legend. I, she like literally has a closet full of Emmys, right? Un- unbelievable. <laughs> like and, the and stuff she's like, worked on. Yeah, everything. Unbelievable human being. Love her. Like she's phenomenal, tremendous person. Just made you feel like a superstar. And because it's voice work would give you direct line readings because that's mm. normal in voiceover. Oh, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I never had a problem with it because A, it was part of the norm. Yeah. And B, like I trusted her from the second I met her. Like just the feeling was so good. Her her willingness to display mutual respect. The other guy in the booth that was like that was Rob Paulson, who's also a legend in voiceover. And mm. you know, I'm, I'm very pleased that they're both uh, good friends to this day. But same thing, like that dude, that dude would record, he, <laughs> he would record a take and we were all plugged in and it was like, it was done. Mm. It was like, they didn't have to fix anything. It didn't sound like there were any plosives or lip smacks or volume changes. It sounded finished. It was incredible. Mm. I'd never heard anything like it. But both of those people were so generous in their spirit that it was like, and and that was very authentic to them. Like, as I got to know them over the years, I realized this was no front. I was like, yeah, you know, Andre, I'll pretty much lie down in traffic for you. That's fine. Yeah. The least of my concerns is a line reading. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so that's the sort of thing, like after a while, if you have that bond with somebody or that trust with somebody, the, the little stuff doesn't really matter. You're not mm-hmm. fighting for every inch, mm-hmm. you know? Right. You, you, you don't care. It's like, just, okay, give it to me. What word do you want mm-hmm. to hit? Like, mm-hmm. like, I'm not getting it, but I know you are getting it. Not conceptually. Stop telling me conceptual things. Like give me a, yeah, yeah. a note, like a director's, just, a good note. Yeah, just, not a just do this. Is that shit? Did I just do something really terrible? Let's do it again. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, it's working for my five-year-old, uh, Hoon. So <laughs> Sam Sam will constantly quote, my place is with my sons. Oh, man. Taking the two fingers to do the attack. Mm. I love it. And like that, that had a huge impact on him. So, um, you know, it worked. Matt? I sense you're trying to wrap up this conversation. And I, <laughs> Listen, I'm I mean, not I, going I, to I, let you before I say one more thing. Uh, yeah, please. Just, it's because it's come in my head. So I just want to say a word about my teacher, Hiro Mirai. Uh, yeah. Because, he, you know, TV is funny. Uh, I'm the creator of the show. I'm the showrunner. I'm, I'm the face of it. But Hiro was my partner, mm. really. Uh, and for months and months and months through. He did one and three? He did one and three, but he prepped the show. Uh, yeah. So right. the language of Station Eleven was created in, in the fall of 2019. Um, and at that time, I think I was like two years older than Hero. And I think Hero probably had spent, I, he probably like produced like over a hundred hours of television at that point. Yeah. And I think I had produced uh, as the leader uh, zero. <laughs> and he never no pressure. He never came up. 
first of all. Yeah. I, it, took, it took me like I, for some, some, some reflection to realize just how experienced he was. Right. Um, and how, uh, you know, complicated it is to, to be in that dynamic. But Hero, um, that experience meant I got to see why it is a problem to spin out the actor in the rehearsal by talking too much. Mm. It, it, I got to see why energy mattered. I got to see why like him taking his pen and being like, do we really need to end the scene mm. three different times, Pat? Or maybe mm. we should just end the scene one time. Uh, but not not in a cocky way, but like genuinely being like protecting the actors coming more. He, he was the bridge t- to me first understanding that directors have a different job than me and I need to honor it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and learn it. Mm. Um, and then he's how I started to understand too, that actors needed, uh, a different thing from me. And, mm. and so I just, just kind of wanted to bring him up, uh, as exceptional because he also, you know, there isn't a piece that he shot for one or three that is not in the show. Wow. It, it and, and then be more than that. I see what you're saying. Sh- yeah. Showrunners get all the credit. About halfway through the shoot of episode three, you know, he was like, I think that um, the structure might be wrong. I think we I think we maybe need to pivot slightly because we were out of order. And he's not saying that because he's like, I want power and control here. He's Mm -hmm. saying that he's like he can see a thing that's even better Um, after we shot Danielle's speech at the end of three, which was the first scene she did on the show on day two. What? Oh yeah, I wrote it a half hour before the scene, and <laughs> right. the AD printed it uh, there, and that was because we'd gotten blown up. But it was it was a really hard time. That's when Danielle kind of held. She's like, "This is fine because I know who the character is. I got you." Mm. But yeah, he, he Hero made that suggestion, and I was like, "He is right," and I started making changes, and his director's cut was this thing that was of the spirit of the script, but something else, uh, Mm. magnificent. And, and hero asked me to come in and start collaborating before his days were up, um, Mm. on his director's cut because he knew he needed me to write, uh, what would end up being the graphic novel as Miranda's voiceover. That was the missing piece, but he, he, Uh. he gave up his days. Uh, it's all the things Hoon's been saying. It's like, this is, we're doing one thing here. These, the little things don't matter. Yeah. How do we make it great? You know? Uh, But you know, this, this circles all the way back because like the things you're talking about both here and in other instances, even with some of the actors you've mentioned, the the attitude, it's driven by experience. Yep. So much of it is driven by, I've tried a bunch of stuff and I weathered storms and I haven't been kicked out of this industry and all of these other things that allow you to get to this place. And so when you talk about if your writer doesn't know what it's like to be on set, if they can't produce, if they can't write a script that's producible, like you are in big trouble all up and down the line, you know, and, and it just yep. undermines trust everywhere. Right. And if I hadn't learned what I learned from Hero mm-hmm. in those two months, January and February, right before the pandemic, Get rid of this line and this line. Get your energy, you know, changed to talk to the actors. Don't brainstorm in front of people like that. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there in Canada, mm-hmm. but he was. 
Right. <laughs> you know, uh, right. like we each need to listen to each other, I think, to learn the stuff too. So that, that's how it's, that's how it works when it works. Yeah. And it does need to be hand, like the, the middle class of these unions and these guilds and these artistic professions, it has to be nurtured. Like that's where the stuff comes from, you know? Yeah. And, and like, you just don't know who's going to take that lesson and run, you know? It's just like something can activate somebody like that. And then suddenly they're in a different place. They know something else, you know? You don't know, but what you, what I, like, I'm the guy who is allowed to not listen to anyone, mm. but I have, I have to listen too. Right. You know, right. like, and, and I think everybody's got their, their self-reflection and, and role to play to, to fix this quagmire. Mm-hmm. But just cause we're in a fight doesn't mean we need to stop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> thinking about about the things that we do that could be better yeah i love it for sure that's exciting to hear you thinking about all this stuff patrick that's really great to hear you need experience you do it's it's too hard yeah. and you it's okay to make mistakes but you you need you need experience and you need to know you're not going to get fired if you fuck up mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh you know on a massive project if you fuck a few little things up at the front end and I don't, there's not a lot of trust right now. So it's hard to emotionally give yourself, but I think it could happen. I think it could get fixed too. Yeah. Uh, Well, we we will be on the sidelines rooting for you um, and waiting to see, you know, getting to the resolution and and getting you back to to what you do the best. And it, it really is inspiring just to hear how much it means with each other, the way that you communicate and the way that you support each other when things are working right. Um, so we, we cannot wait to see more of that. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah, man. Thank you, Matt. It was a good one. Holy shit. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope, uh, Patrick, uh, you will join us for a, a regular escape hatch, uh, episode at some point, just choose your favorite movie and come on and talk about it. I'll come if, if Hoon is going to be there, I'll come. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> no, Hoon. happily, happily. <laughs> Hoon has his eye on Superman, uh, which we have not done yet. Uh, the original. Oh, Superman, good. So, yeah. You know what? I found out something kind of crazy, Matt. What's that? So when I first moved to New York, like around 2000, um, I got this like dungeon of an apartment on the Upper West Side that was close to my best friend there. That's why I got it. And it was like, I, I sh- it looked like the beginning of a horror movie. It was like not good. <laughs> and there's like this little kitchenette that's like a half stove thing is constantly leaking gas i should be dead <laughs> and, um, but the the uh landlady this old irish woman she told me that because it, it was on like 75th and uh columbus and um she was like you know there were you know because we're close to juilliard she was like robin williams robin yeah here and so did christopher reeve what and i had no idea like, I assume she was bullshitting me regardless. But then, like, later on, I found out they were roommates. Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, you meant <laughs> Robin Williams and Christopher Reeve lived here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, wow. So, like, later on, I was like, wow. And I saw Christopher Reeve speak at my friend's commencement. Mm. And he was hugely inspirational. Like, it, it was, I think it's like, there have only been a couple of times where I felt, like, galvanized to be an artist in that speech with one of them. Wow. Wow. He was like, the world needs you. It was like, and he, this was post-accident. Like he could not, like every word counted. Man. You know? And I, I felt like, like it was like a thunderbolt had went off, like when, when he said that. And he was like, the world needs you. 
And I was like, yes, it does. <laughs> you know, it's like, you believed him. Was, you, you believed I him. I totally believed him. Yeah. I totally believed And I was like, he's, he's right. He's right. And that's it for this very special episode of Escape Patch. I want to thank Patrick and Hoon for an unbelievable conversation. Next week, we're joined by the host of the Recode Media Podcast, Peter Kafka, and we cover the biggest of the big, Quentin Tarantino's Apotheosis, 1994's Pulp Fiction. If you enjoyed the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want and a Patreon where you can support us and unlock exclusive perks. Links are in the show notes. Escape Patch is a Tape Deck Podcast John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Scott Fritz and Who's the Boss Music. The episode was edited and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. I mean, uh, why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. <laughs> You're going to end up fighting every elected official in this country. I'm sure you don't really mean that, Lois. I don't believe this. Lois? Hmm? I never lie. <laughs>